all the things we'll do for God, and there are a lot of things we'll do for God, but all the things we'll do for God, the thing we want to do less, the least for him probably is share our faith with someone else. How many of you, as soon as I say that, felt a little shrink somewhere on you? Like, oh, it's the share of the faith with someone else Sunday. Why do we not want to share our faith so bad? It's not that we don't think it's really good news. So we don't want to be awkward or annoying to others. Anybody relate to that? I don't want to be awkward or annoying to others. I remember when I was a school teacher, I was in the uh, teacher's lounge, and there was a gal, she was a skeptic, she didn't believe, we talked about that a lot, but one day, she had that day, you know, where she's a little more open to something. I don't know what happened, but she said, hey, you're, you're the God guy. You ever seen a miracle? So, well, I've never seen, you know, pillars of fire or something like that, but yeah, I've seen miracles. I talked to her about some healing I have seen. I talked to her about God, you know, helping me to know things or to say things at just the right moment, providing. She was another Christian gal taught with us. She heard what we were talking about. She got excited. She said, I've seen some miracles. I've seen entire churches full of people crawling around the floor, barking like dogs. And, uh, and I've seen a whole church of people howling like wolves. And the gal I was talking to, she's like shrinking in her chair like, oh, I knew this was how it was. And she's looking at me like, I knew that's what you believed. And I just wanted to turn to my, my dear, sweet Christian sister there and say, you know, could you zip it and not help me? Just, just don't be here right now. We don't want to be awkward or annoying to someone. That's not the only reason we won't share our faith. We don't want to be associated with an embarrassing Christian image. Now, the Christian image in the world right now, see, we got about a good 10 years there after 9-11 when everybody's like, you church people are all right. Everybody ought to pray. You know, that's over now. Is that not way over now? That's way over now. Uh, the Christian image right now, I think, is, feels to me like the worst it has been since the late 80s with the tele-evangelist. If, if you missed that, that was a, a real, a lot of fun. It's just, it feels just about as bad as then. We don't want to be associated with all the craziness going on out there on the internet and in the world. Um, Chris Lee, he's not here today, but we're going to talk about him anyway. Um, <laughs> So Chris Lee, our music director, uh, you know, he went to UMKC Conservatory of Music, you know, did, well, one time Chris Lee came to me and said, we're doing an opera and UMKC Opera wants to cast you, me, Garrett, in the opera without an audition. They had a part in that opera that was perfect for my acting skill set. They wanted me to play a corpse. (laughs) Now... Don't get me wrong. I was in center stage the entire show. Other people had to go off and on, but not me. The whole opera was about me. So that was awesome. So, you know, we're going to rehearsals. I don't know why I had to rehearse. (laughs) I just laid there. But uh, so we're at rehearsals. You know, everybody's putting on their makeup. And uh, Fred Phelps shows up right? I don't know if you guys know, he's passed away now, but Fred Phelps was the pastor of Westboro Baptist in Topeka. They hold up the anti-gay signs. They go to soldiers' funerals and hold up signs that say, God hates America. And, and, and th- so this guy shows up to protest the show next door. 
And one of the cast members walks in and says, oh, Fred Phelps and his bunch are here. And Chris Lee and I said, oh, that's all we need. And everybody stopped. And they go, what? Aren't, aren't you too Christian? I said, yeah, we're Christian. He said, well, you don't like Fred Phelps? Like, no, that guy's a black eye on the body of Christ. Oh. Now, they only knew me for a few weeks, but they knew Chris for years and just politely assumed, because they knew he was a Christian, that he would like Fred Phelps. Don't all Christians think Westboro Baptist is awesome and that God hates America? We don't want to be associated with all the craziness going on in the world, so we don't reveal that we are Christian. How many people relate to that one? We also don't share our faith because we don't want to take what's a friendship or a nice acquaintance with a neighbor or something or a business associate and turn it into an argument. So there was this Catholic priest and a Baptist minister and a rabbi. And they were all friends and they all ministered in Wyoming, right? And, uh, and they would meet every Friday before Sabbath to, for the Jewish guy. And they would talk about, you know, what's been going on. Well, they've been doing this so long. They talked about everything. They'd experienced everything. So they thought, until the Catholic priest said, you know, one thing we've never done up here in Wyoming, we've never tried to convert a bear. They said, what? He said, yeah, like a grizzly bear. Like, we've never tried to convert one of those to our faith. Well, you're right about that. Well, why don't we go out this week? We'll all try to convert a bear, and then we'll come back here, and we'll, uh, we'll tell what happened. It'll give us something new to talk about. Well, that's true. So off they went. Well, the next week, they come back for their Friday breakfast, and the uh, Catholic father sits down. He's in an arm sling. I said, what happened? He said, well, I ran up there to Yellowstone. I found a grizzly bear, and I went up, started saying the rosary with it. And it took hold of my arm and just grrr, snapped it just like that. But I did eventually get that bear to recite the catechism. And I served that bear first communion, and I sprinkle baptized it. I said, well, good for you. Now, they're looking, because the Baptist pre, uh, pastor there, he's there in a wheelchair and both legs in a cast. Like, what happened to you, pastor? He said, I'll tell you what happened. I went up and I found that bear, and I went up to that bear. I said, bear, do you know if you died tonight whether or not you would live eternally in the arms of Jesus in heaven? And that bear grabbed me. He started stripping the flesh off my legs. But I did finally get that bear to, A, admit that he was a sinner in the sight of God, B, to believe that Jesus Christ had died for his sins, and C, to confess Jesus with his mouth and invite him into his heart. I baptized that bear that day by immersion, I might add. You immersed a grizzly bear. That's incredible. Now, all this time, they're trying to ignore the fact that the rabbi's sitting there in a full body cast. Like he's got one eye and a little bit of his mouth showing. They're like, okay, Saul, what happened? And he says, you know, listening to you two talk, I'm thinking maybe the place to start was not circumcision. Believe it or not, we are in the gospel of, already in the first John today in the Bible. So if you have your Bible, or you have an app that will get you to the Bible, turn to first John this morning, chapter one, verse one. Now this is not the gospel of John, this is first John, the letter. So start at the back at Revelation and hang a left. Go through two small books and then you'll come to first John. First John chapter one, verse one where he says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. 
This morning, John and those who are writing this letter with him, for it says we, says that they are proclaiming good news. And they emphasize in this first verse that Jesus was real. They have seen him and touched him. And these first opening verses of 1 John that we're going to study this morning, we're going to learn two things about sharing our faith that we need to know to overcome our fear of it. So let's go on to verse 2. Verse 2 says, This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And we now testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. The first thing we learned from this this morning is that when we're being asked to share our faith, we're not being asked to share bland doctrines about Jesus. We're not being asked to share clever arguments and illustrations. We are not being asked to post comments on everything on YouTube. We are being asked to share what we have seen and touched for ourselves. We are not salesmen for God. We are witnesses. We are witnesses to what God has done, and we share that witness. But how or why would we ever want to share with someone who does not believe it and probably does not want to believe it? Why make a relationship that we have awkward? Why be annoying? Why be embarrassed? Why get into a fight and get mauled by a bear? Isn't it just safer for us to be quiet? And just when sharing our faith seems so hard, so out of the question, this letter from John reminds us what's at stake? We're going to skip verse 3 for a moment and go to verse 4. Verse 4 says, We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, some of you are saying right now, that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says so that your joy could be complete. This is one of those moments when the scribes who were copying the scriptures very early during the copying process made an error. Just like in English where yours and ours are just one letter apart, right? In Greek, it's the same way. Humes and Hemes are one letter apart. And somewhere pretty early in the process of passing 1 John around, somebody got one letter wrong. And so now in archaeology, there's two versions of 1 John. One says, uh, so that your joy may be complete, and one says, so that you can make our joy complete. Now, the internet is alive with these accusations that, you know, you can't trust the Bible because these scribes make mistakes. Now, I've been studying the Bible for 20 years now, and the mistakes like this that I find are usually of about this caliber. So you can decide for yourself this morning if you think this error makes you not believe in God anymore, whether they said so that your joy can be complete or whether you say so you would make our joy complete. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but you can decide. I think you'll see by the end. I don't know that it matters, and that's why uh, other scribes didn't try to fix it later. I'm not sure it matters that much. The thing is, it says is it's joy. Whether it's you'll make your joy complete or by you having joy, that would make my joy complete. I don't think that's that big a difference. It's saying there is more joy in the Christian life for you and for me than without the Christian life. There is more joy in truth than falsehood. There is more joy in prayer than worry. 
there's more joy in generosity than debt and materialism. There's more joy in peace than busyness. There's more joy in finding strength during our suffering than only finding loss. There's more joy in fellowship this morning than there is in loneliness. There is more joy in serving than in a life without purpose. There is more joy in acceptance than racism. There is more joy in compassion than elitism and thinking we're better than someone. And there is more joy in sharing joy and good news than in keeping silent. The right reason for us to share our faith this morning is that we love other people so much. We want their joy to be complete, and when they receive joy, it will make our joy complete. We have seen and touched joy. What we have seen and touched is worth sharing. Remember what it said in verse 1? Go back to verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. John and those writing this letter with him are saying, I am sharing with you what I have seen and touched. Now we are being invited to share what we have seen and touched. Not in the same way as John, obviously, because we were born too late to have seen and touched Jesus as he walked. But I don't think God's left us empty-handed. I think we've seen and touched some things of God. Let's have a moment of silence here for just a moment. And during this moment of silence, let's reach back and answer this question. Before you got serious about following Jesus, who were you? What did he save you from? Or what joy has he brought to you? Spend just a moment answering that question for ourselves. Before you got serious about following Jesus, who were you? What has he saved you from? What joy has he brought to you? And do you know someone else in your life who could use that same joy and same freedom? We have joys to share that we have seen and touched. If I were thinking through this with you, I would say uh, Christ has helped me to be a better parent and his church has come alongside my family many times and got us through some difficult moments with that. Christ has taught me how to be, seek freedom from addiction to sin. Christ has helped me to forgive a parent and restore our family. Christ has helped us to live debt-free Christ is changing my heart about people I was prejudiced against. What is it for you? And how then, how then can we take that joy and that freedom and share it with someone else so that their joy can be complete? Or so that when they have it, that would make our joy complete, wouldn't it? It's How do you do that, though, in this culture that is so in, becoming increasingly hostile to all of this? It's not as difficult as you may think. 
at the founding of this church, Lakeland, our, our founding pastor, Dan Wilburn, he came up with the three ends of evangelism or the three ends of sharing our faith. Invest, engage, invite. Now you'll notice that not a single one of those words actually starts with the letter N. So you'll have to, you know, cut the guy some slack. He went to KU. <laughs> Wonder why there's hostility in the church. <laughs> Invest. Invest is our way of saying, you know, leave strangers alone. We are not asking you to go knock on every door in your neighborhood and accost people on their doorstep or to harass people on the street with a bullhorn or to track down a bear and try to get them to admit, believe, confess. We, we, invest is our way of saying to care about people. To care about people before you just think of them as a, another convert to a tribe or a ministry project. Invest says that we start with our friends and our, our family and our neighbors and the people we work with, people we actually care about. And we invest in their lives the way Jesus did. Invest means to invite someone over for dinner. Invest means to show up to the yoga class that you're already paying for, but you don't go to. Well, don't go just go there for yourself. Go there for the others to invest. When the little league game's over and everybody's going out for pizza, go out for pizza. Don't miss the fun part just so you can run home and get busy with the next thing. Um, invest is to sit in the same section of the restaurant with that server that you enjoy and actually ask them some things about their life. That's a person with hopes and dreams too. And leave a tip that's not a Bible track. I am shocked, shocked. My wife was manager of a restaurant a few years ago that people in this day and age still leave their server a Bible track instead of a tip. Here's a little pamphlet about Jesus, honey. Okay. If you think Bible track ministry is effective, more power to you. But you better clip a 50 to it so that they know that Jesus loves them. <laughs> Invest says these are, real religious, or these are real relationships. These are our real friends and workmates. These are not church projects or church merit badges. Invest. The next N is engage. Now this is not like engage the enemy. <laughs> All right, it's quite the opposite. Engage is where uh, we don't get into an argument or a debate. That doesn't change anyone. Um, engage is where, where we come out of hiding and engage with them a part of our life that maybe we've kept hidden up till now, and that is that we're a follower of Jesus. Well, how do you bring that and engage that in this relationship? Uh, it's actually, again, easier and less complicated than you think. The first thing is just to let them know that you go to church and you like it. And that's pretty good for a start. So, you know, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, we went to the zoo on Saturday. The animals are usually out more in the fall. And then on Sunday, we went to church. The sermon was fair, but the music was amazing. Just that much. And someone may say, oh, they go to church. Huh, they seem too nice for that sort of thing. Just that much. And someone may say, come back to you later and say, you know, I have been thinking about God lately and you're the God person. So tell me more. Now in this culture, actually, I doubt they will. It's becoming so hostile. I doubt they will. If they do, you know the Holy Spirit's at work. I doubt they will. So there's another layer of, of engaging and, and that is where you let them know that Jesus Christ has made a real difference in your life. 
So people may be standing around the copier saying, uh, you know, griping about their spouse. You could say, yeah, I hear you. You know, sometimes I want to take a ball back to my husband in his sleep. But, uh, you know, then we had this class in church about communication. And there was this verse that said, you know, be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And it's made a big difference. You don't have to write a whole sermon. In fact, just about three minutes and then shut it down. Zip it up. Leave some room for the Holy Spirit. Just that much. And someone say, may say, you know what you're saying? That really spoke to me. Tell me more. And as you keep engaging and keep revealing who you are in this most important part of your life, remember always that God has been trying to reach this person long before you even met them. God is always trying to reach this person. You know how I know? Because every time we baptize someone, every time we baptize someone, don't they say this out on the beach? They say, I thought God abandoned me, but now I realize he was speaking to me the whole time. Don't they all say that? Don't we all say that? Because he is trying to speak to us the whole time. We're just at points in our life where we can't hear the Holy Spirit or understand that it is the Holy Spirit. So what God needs from you and I is to be his agent, to help people hear from the Holy Spirit and realize that it is the Holy Spirit before maybe they can quite realize that for themselves. So let God know that you are his agent, ready to be his witness, telling what he has done for you as you engage. The last in is invite. Invite them to church. Invite them to join the community of the people of Jesus. Now, why would we do that? Why would we make inviting like the capstone of sharing our faith? Couldn't they come to Jesus and follow him without having to come into church? Uh, Here's why I still say inviting folks into community is the capstone. Because Uh, all of us, myself and you and this person that you've been investing and engaging in with, uh, they are going to need, we're all going to need over our lives a variety of ministries. Before this is all said and done, you and I and this person are going to need somewhere along the line some counseling or some advice. Somewhere along the line, we're going to need an opportunity to serve the poor. If we're going to be a real follower of Jesus, he was very serious about serving the poor. We're going to need to have that opportunity. Somewhere along the line, we're all going to need a strong call to be generous, to break the stranglehold that greed and fear has on us. Somewhere, we're all going to need a reminder, a frequent reminder of the story of Jesus found in these scriptures. They're going to need other people in their lives besides just you to encourage them and for them to encourage so they can take all the gifts God has given them as an encouragement to others. Somewhere along the line, you and I and they are going to need something unique for our soul, unique for the soul of a man or unique for the soul of a woman or unique for the soul of a young person. We're going to need someone to celebrate with us, a birth or our our conversion or a wedding. And we're going to need someone to mourn with us our loss, loss of a loved one, our sickness, our own funeral. And we're going to need the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's table. So even if someone, if you're so good at this, that someone prays to accept Christ Jesus in your living room on their knees, to stay in Christ and to grow in Christ, they are eventually going to need more than you can give them and more than they can find for themselves. They're going to need a community. They're going to need this community or a community just like it. And that is why Christ has given us the church 
to be that for one another. And we skip verse 3, but we're coming back to it now. Because the Bible calls what I've just described fellowship. Verse 3, 1 John 1, 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I still believe in that old hymn that gets sung in churches. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I, I love this him because it says, I love God, but I just have a tendency in myself to get distracted. I, I just have a tendency to wander off and forget who he is and who I am. And we need this weekly reminder in community to tell us to sing the next verse. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It says, I know I wander from you, God, but in this moment, I want to give you my heart. Would you seal it so that I will always be with you? And for 2,000 years now, what has shepherded the hearts of people has been the church. Now remember that if you invite your friend to church, they want to come here only with you. They have just gotten to the point that they trust you. The rest of us, they don't trust, right? They're terrified of us because they have Facebook. They're terrified of us. And so... Uh, they don't know if we're going to end up crawling on the floor and howling at the moon by the end of it. So if they're brave enough to come, God bless them, they want to come with you. So uh, on the day they say they're coming, plan to meet them right out there by the front doors, by the sidewalk. And hang out with them in the lobby. Don't leave them stranded out there to wander around with strangers whom they aren't sure about yet. And sit with them in the sanctuary. Ooh, some of you say, that's going to be a problem because most of you serve somewhere on Sunday morning at least once a month. So what happens if they come on that Sunday morning? You know, your brother-in-law shows up after you've been inviting for a year and you're supposed to be at the coffee bar. Now, this has always been our rule here, but let's say it explicitly so we understand. Again, if your brother-in-law that you have been investing and engaging and inviting shows up to church, that is the main event for the day. When your brother-in-law shows up, that is the main event. I mean, all the millions that go into church over the course of decades, all of it, all of it is for your brother-in-law to hear the gospel of Christ and find community to grow and stay. And so that's the main event. So if he shows up, you're supposed to see a coffee bar. You go to Melissa at the coffee bar, you say, my brother-in-law showed up. And she will say, okay, yeah, we'll find somebody else. We'll close the coffee bar if it was just you. Because your brother-in-law came and that's the main event. You, you, so your neighbor shows up that you've been praying for. You're supposed to be a nursery. You tell Sarah, my neighbor showed up. And it's okay, we'll find somebody else. I don't care if you're the drama station leader in Campfire and the whole thing was about you. You had a little costume. You were literally going to wear the Jesus costume up there. If that's the day your boss comes in here, you can say, I can't do this drama. And we'll show a cartoon. We've got Veggie Tales in a closet somewhere. And we will show a cartoon because that's the main event. And when we hear about it, we'll say, God bless cartoons. That's great because the angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner repents. Not so much when one more drama about Jesus happens. You know what I'm saying? That, they love the drama about Jesus, but that's the main event. So let's, that's it. And, and plan on inviting your, your friend in this culture. Plan on inviting your friend like seven or 14 times before they'll actually show up. 
months of this. If you'd like to come to church Sunday, you're certainly welcome. If you'd like to come to church next week, and they'll say, oh, yeah, sure. Or uh, these days, they'll say, yeah, no, I hate church people. Like, that's more the response we're getting these days from folks. Like, oh, baby. Okay. So seven to 14 times. You'll be doing this for a year before, and then magically they'll show up because the Holy Spirit's been trying to reach them all along. You know what uh, evangelism, you know what sharing our faith is, don't you? It's not about us being better than anybody. It's certainly not that. It's not about us knowing some secret. You know, it's not some pyramid scheme, you know, where if you can get three people here, we'll send you to Italy. It's, it's not that. It's like beggars in the Great Depression. You know, beggars would go house to house and they'd, they'd knock on the back door. That's where the kitchen was. And they'd ask for food. Well, a lot of people didn't have any food for them. It's the Great Depression. Everybody's broke. But every once in a while, they'd find a house that would say, here's some bread. So these beggars, they would take, this, they'd take a little piece of white rock and they'd put a little X on the back step of the house and that let every other beggar know, this house gives out bread. That's us. We're that beggar. We're that beggar who went searching the whole world to find love, to find acceptance, to find the joy of God. And when we got to the house that was Jesus' address, he gave out the bread of life there. And so we, the beggars, what sharing our faith is, is it's us putting a mark on this house, this address where Jesus lives and saying, I don't know about all these other versions of whatever, but, but this one gives out bread. This one gives out joy. That's what we are when we're sharing our faith. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Let's take just a moment of silence to, to pray this prayer. That the Lord would bring to your mind someone that you've been overlooking but to, that you could invest in a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone you actually care about, that you, they need this joy, this freedom. If you're already invested in them, that you would have the, a moment, the Lord would arrange a moment where you can engage with them to let them know that you go to church and you like it. I mean, I hope that's true. Don't make up something, but that you go to church and you like it. Somewhere else down the week, that Jesus Christ has made a real difference in your life. If you're already engaging that way, that you could invite them. And then after you've invited them, that they would come and pray that on the day they would come, it would be the right day and a good day. Let's take a, a moment of silence to pray those prayers and then we will worship together. Well, let us stand together and receive the benediction. It is all about joy. May you experience the joy of Christ and may you share that joy. And in the sharing of the joy, may those you share with, may their joy be made complete. And when their joy is made complete, may that make your joy complete. And may it not matter which it is, so as long as it is the joy of Christ. Let us always reflect on the joy he has brought us. And equip us to, to share that with the world that is in such desperate need of joy. And that knowledge may you go and share him with the world whom you have seen and touched. Amen.